Okay, this whole weekend, say yes to the dress. Wow. When Cheryl asked me to speak, as Mayor said, this is her vision. And so she gave each one of us an assignment. And my assignment was to speak to you about vows. Now, when Cheryl asked that of me, I was like, Lord, I can't even count how many marriage conferences Greg and I have done all over. We've done so many. And we've spoken briefly on vows, but I've never, like, really studied vows. I mean, like, to this extent, as I did for this retreat. Um, And I think the reason being, well, God always wants to do it in me first. So everything that I'm bringing to you tonight, please know that God wants to do it in me, or he is doing it in me still. I've been a babbling mess for about three weeks. So, um, is everybody good? Does anybody need to stand up? Because I know it's late. I'm going to try to get through this. I don't want you falling asleep. Are we all good? Everybody good? Shape or awake. All right. Praise God. So, this is going to be different for each of us this weekend because we're all at different places in our relationship with the Lord. Some of us have walked with the Lord for 30 years. Some of us have walked with the Lord for two years. Um, Some of us are somewhere in the middle. Um... We just are all at a different place in our relationship with the Lord. And I'm so thankful that God is who he is because um, he doesn't reveal everything to us at once because we just couldn't handle it, you know, about just the things in our life and the places that we are. He's he's so gracious in that. Um, Some of you tonight, I really believe, are going to understand vows for the first time really ever. Um, I think... Tonight or this weekend, some of you will be taking a vow for the first time. Some of you will be recommitting your vows. Um, I think the most beautiful thing is when a couple has been married for years and they make those wedding, um, the recommitment, the, 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 you know, they re-up their vows. I think Mayor said you guys are going to be doing it in two years. Um, that's a beautiful thing because I believe a lot of times a lot of us can say, you know what, we didn't really know what love is. We did not understand it. When we got married, when we were t- when we took our vows with that man, we really didn't understand, and we didn't love them, even if you've dated them for years. I mean, until you're really fully in that marriage, and then it could be like, wow, you know, you really love. I mean, I cannot even imagine that that I <coughs> love my husband anymore. But every day that goes by after 27 years of marriage is just amazing. It gets greater. But then there are those people that we counsel all the time that will have made that wedding vow and, you know, maybe um, a couple years into it, they're like, okay, I didn't sign up for this. I don't know who this man is that I married. And, I mean, either they'll come seeking, desperately seeking counsel or um, they will just break that vow. Okay, so I do believe that we live in a time and an era where we do not know what vows really are. You know, back in the biblical days, Mayor shared some things about that. They truly knew what making a vow was. We are a nation right now that breaks vows all the time. We are a nation that makes vows all the time with our word and what we say. And they can be very dangerous vows. Like, I will never let that happen to me again. And I do truly believe that the words that we speak bring life or death. So... I pray that this thing, that, that tonight um, I am going to bring something very new to you 
Um, and I hope that I don't offend you. Um, Greg and I always say we're equal opportunity offenders. Every time he gets up and preaches, he offends, and I usually do the same. And so we're going to take a look at, briefly, what is a vow? Uh, the Hebrew word for vow is nadir. And we're going to look at in the view of, uh, as in being a biblical vow. Okay, because we're going to go back to the word. And what does the word say? It actually says more than I could have even imagined. We would be here for three days if I was to read every scripture that talks about a vow. I was shocked. I'm going to be honest with you. I was shocked about the word of God, and which it shouldn't surprise me, but that I didn't see all that before. It just didn't dawn on me. So, um, vow is nadir in the uh, Hebrew, and it mean, means a promise to God um, concretely, like a like concrete, a concrete promise that can't be moved, a thing promised with the intent to keep that promise, pledge, or personal commitment between you and God or you and another person. You know, in biblical times, and I've studied a lot of the Jewish history, Messianic, I knew the importance of vows. I know, and I've always looked at vows as covenants. So if you want to say that, you all, I don't know, there was a lot of you when I taught the marriage conference there, I spoke very openly on covenants. And um, the marriage ceremony is one of those covenants that if it's done properly, like Mayor talked about, there is still the shedding of blood. So there is still a, co- a blood covenant in marriage when you take that vow and do it the correct way. But God is awesome. When you don't, he does do miraculous things in us. Can you, so, repeat, can you repeat that again? Yes. Which part, honey? Just about... Just what that means. Uh, yes, like when Mayor talked about the hymen last night, and when, say if a man and a woman get married and she is a virgin, there is the shedding of blood. Right. And that is a blood covenant. And covenants are very close to vows. Covenant and vows, it's a very close thing. But there is a difference in vows, and the difference in vows, it's what you speak out your mouth. So we're going to get there. So I think it's interesting that marriage is one of the things there's actually two things that there's still the shedding of blood. The two things is when we have a baby, which I think is incredible, and when we lose our virginity. If we do it, there's it's the shedding of blood. So I just think that's amazing, and that's a whole other thing that I've taught on before. But So anyways, but the actual vow and keeping that promise or pledge, um, it's only to be broken um, by a couple different... There's only really two things that I found in the Bible... So you're pledging forever, either your commitment to God, we're going to look at that, our commitment to Christ tonight as the bride of Christ, you know, or even in marriage today, and only death or infidelity will break that vow. Those are the, the, the two things. We even say that. I just did a wedding three weeks ago, and it was amazing, very rare wedding. I do a lot of um, Christian weddings, well, not a lot, so much anymore because I'm very picky about who I marry. But this particular couple, the lady actually called me and she said, "Listen, this couple, they want, you know, they want Christ the center of their marriage, and they actually asked me to write their vows, which I think is interesting. I did that wedding three weeks ago, and I had to write their vows, and they wanted Christ to preach at their wedding. They wanted me to preach." Christ at their wedding to a whole group of people. And it was at that big white barn in Springville. It was a big old wedding. Um, and so to me, that was the most beautiful thing. And it's very rare. I do a lot of good Christian marriages, but this marriage was over the top, God-centered. And so it gave me hope. It gave me such hope. But it's unfortunately 
all too rare. So, we are going to look at vows this weekend in its setting of marriage vows, which are a solemn promise made to you, made by you to God. We are talking about committing ourselves, or even as, as vows, setting ourselves apart for him alone, for his son, as his bride, as the bride of Christ. So that's how we're going to be looking at this, at these vows. Um, can we really comprehend that? And have we really done that? I'm going to really challenge you in some areas about making your vows to Christ because we do have a church, and I think a lot of you would agree in America, that um, doesn't look much different than the world. A lot of people say with their mouth they are committed to Christ, they have vowed their lives to Christ, but you don't see the fruit and things like that. So I'm going to challenge you in your vows tonight, and I'm hopeful that in challenging you in these vows that you will either make the recommitment, and there may be some out there, I mean, in the last few weeks after doing this study, I'm like, Lord, you know what, I need to, for you to forgive me, this is so much more serious than I realized, and so I want to make sure, and I mean, I live a pretty sold out life, but I want to make sure, so, because we are preparing ourselves for the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, so, okay, um, in saying these vows to him, preparing ourselves as the bride of Christ, we need to keep in mind the greatness of who he is. The greatness not only of who our husband's going to be, but who our father God is. And we've talked a lot about that this weekend. Um, and that's the thing, the greatness of his kingdom. Um, a lot of us have made vows in the past, I think, that we can honestly say that, and we can honestly say that we've broke them. You know, Mayor got up and shared her story. Briefly, uh, most of you know my story. Um, I did not come to Christ until I was 23, really fast. I had three kids by three different um, men. I had two divorces under my belt. I was a drug addict. Um, those marriages, uh, only one of them actually, I was thinking, I think I told somebody I didn't have kids, but I did have by one of the men that I married. But broken vows all the way. So when I came to Christ at 23, I was like, Road hard and put away wet. Uh, you know, it was not pretty. And um, so, you know, here um, I'm thinking I could never marry again. Who would ever want me? And so I walked with the Lord for three years and um, I met Greg. And um, he was pastoring full time. He wasn't in the high patrol yet. We've done both all through the years. Um, but I was like, oh man, there is no way. I mean, because if you've ever read the book of Hosea, he's Hosea, I'm Gomer. And um, you need to read that. It's a wonderful book. And I was like, no way, no how. But there, as with Mare, Greg and I only dated eight weeks, and we've been married for 27 years. And so I'm very grateful that, that God is a God of redeeming love, where I thought nobody would ever have me again. God sent me the most incredible, amazing husband. And um, we have kept our vows for 27 years, not only to ourselves, but to God. So... But that doesn't mean that it's hard. It's it's always perfect. <laughs> there are those times. So, okay. Um, truly believe that the time is drawing close for Christ's return. And, and can I get an amen on that? Amen. Okay. I really think that um, that He is coming soon. So that's why I want to prepare you. Okay. We're going to look at really quickly what is the biblical view of vows. Do you, do you have your words, your sword, with you? 
Okay, because we must understand that these vows are serious business. And God does not take vows lightly. I think that's one of the biggest things I learned out of this study. Yes, he is a good, good father. But he is also God. We cannot put him in a box of who we think he is or how he's going to act or react. He is so much bigger than we could even begin to imagine. He is also a righteous judge. So let's just look at some scriptures that talk about vows. What is God's view on vows? Um, Now remember, we're looking at vows, if you want to say in the marriage realm, towards wedding ourselves to his son, but also just vows in general of God's view, what he says in his word. word. So in the book of Deuteronomy, if you guys want to turn with me, verses 21, 21 through 23, and I'm only going to give you a very small, quick portion, and this actually is going to be pretty quick because I really want to want us to take some time before the Lord. Chapter 21 verses 21 through 23. Give you just a minute to get there. And it says, even if you if you just want to write it down, it says, if you make a vow to the Lord your God, you shall not delay fulfilling it. For the Lord your God will surely require it of you, and you will be guilty of sin. That means if you don't do it, you're guilty of sin. But if you refrain from vowing, you will not be guilty of sin. So he's saying, I'd rather have you not make a vow than make one and not keep it. Because if we make vows and we don't keep them, we're guilty of sin. So I want I want you to think about that. And it goes on to say, Be careful to do what has passed through your lips, for you have voluntarily vowed to the Lord your God what you have promised with your mouth. Remember how I said a little bit earlier that vows, the little bit difference between vows, well, really the only difference between vows and a covenant is what we say out of our mouth. We can make covenants are made more of our, our hearts, but we can vow in our heart. I'll never let that happen to me again. Or, oh God, you know, I'm not going to trust you with that. That's a vow, and we need to be very careful. Numbers 30, verse 2. Okay? Numbers 30, verse 2. If a man vows a vow to the Lord or swears an oath to bind himself by a pledge, he shall not break his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. Proverbs twenty twenty-five. It is a snare to say rashly, it is holy, and to reflect only after making vows. In studying these vows, vows are really, really about the words that we say. Ladies, the words that come out of our mouth. And so I want you to think about about that in the realm of being the bride of Christ, okay, at this point. And remember that life or death, you know, is in, life or death is in our mouth. We either speak life or we speak death. And our vows, I mean, this is just there. Okay, now those were Old Testament, and like I said, I'm only giving you a very small portion of what's in the Word but let me take you to the New Testament, Matthew 5, chapter, uh, Matthew 5, verses 33 through 37. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old. Okay, so now we're referring back to the Old Testament, just some of these scriptures that I said. You shall not swear falsely, but shall per- perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is his footstool. Or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. 
And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from the evil one. Wow. I mean, that's, that's the word. Think about it. Do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Most Christian marriages, who are they making these vows for? God, and in front of others, but they're doing it in front of God. And so I want you to think about the church in America at this point. Now, this statistic has, we've held it for years. The church in America has held this statistic. And what I mean, that we are the highest. We have a, we have a higher divorce rate in the church. The new Barna statistics just came out. I'm a follower I have been for years. The church has the highest rate of divorce. The church in America. More than the world. Okay, and I could go on and on. Prescription drug use. Eight out of ten pastors are addicted to pornography. We hold some really high records. There's only the two cases I found. There could be more, but as far as I know, what I studied, two cases where God will let you out of a vow. And that's for marital and faithfulness, which is adultery, and death. I'm going to read you Numbers 30, 1 through 16. Because this is another portion that talks about a vow. Moses spoke to the heads of the tribes of the people of Israel, saying, This is what the Lord has commanded. If a man vows a vow to the Lord, or swears an oath to bind himself to a pledge, he shall not break his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. I think we heard that in Deuteronomy. If a woman vows a vow to the Lord, and binds herself by a pledge, while in her father's house... In her youth, and that's kind of going back to the Jewish wedding when a, when a family would marry off, okay? And she, but she would bind her heart. She would take that pledge that she's going to marry that man. Um, uh, and pledge, uh, she has bound herself and says nothing, okay, uh, sorry, let me back up. While within her father's house, in her youth, and her father hears of her vow and of her pledge, um, by uh, which she has bound herself and says nothing to her, then her vows shall stand. And every pledge by which she has bound herself shall stand. But if her father opposes her on a day that he hears of it, so let's just say she 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 pledges to marry a young man. Well, he decides he doesn't like it. Okay, but she's already made this vow to the Lord. She says if her father opposes her on that day that he hears of it, no vow of hers, no pledge by which she has bound herself shall stand. I'm sorry, this is the other instance. So there was three. This was the other instance I found that she will be let out of that vow, and the Lord will forgive her because her father opposed her. Interesting, huh? Okay, so this weekend is about agreeing to say yes to the dress. In other words, we will be choosing as whether or not we want to make a personal vow to become the bride of Christ. Whether you are making these vows for the first time or renewing your vows, it is something you should think long and hard about. Not only is it a choice, but the other thing is we need to count the cost. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to talk to you about what it looks like to make these vows. And we need to count the cost. And it's no different than counting the cost in marriage. 
there's years of experience beyond mine in this room, you know, years of wisdom. And I bet there's not one lady in here that could tell me that marriage isn't work. And it's no different in our relationship with Christ. So we're going to count the cost. Some of you have already entered into these vows and are truly living as the pride of Christ. Some of you may recommit after you hear this message on vows. I hope that you do. I did. Because um, I just really wanted to make sure, even though I knew in my heart, as you may, that but I know I've broken vows to God. I know I have. So I just repented. So hopefully there'll be a recommitting of our vows tonight. Just no different than we would do after being married, like Mary's going to do. I'm sure Greg and I will do it. Um, I would love to, getting them on board. Um, okay. Some of you entered into these vows, but you didn't really count the cost. And you're not really sure. It's kind of like, this is not what I signed up for. How many of you have ever said it as a Christian, man, I gave my life to the Lord and all hell broke loose. Okay, it happens. And not only that, but I want you to think about all the people that have come and gone out of your life that have given their heart to the Lord, but they are not living for Him. They're in the world. They're, they're, they have separated themselves for Christ. They're denying Him. And he says, if you deny me in front of men, I'm going to deny you before my father. So we see broken vows in the church all the time. All the time. My heart this weekend is that you will choose him. Your soon coming king. A lot of what I'm doing, um, a lot of what I'm going to say might be uncomfortable. It might even offend you. But I don't want to apologize for that because I'd rather you be offended. Um, I didn't write down the scripture, but Misty Edwards, I don't know if you've heard the song. Um, I can't remember what it is. Baptize my heart. And she says, I don't want to be offended. I don't want to be offended. And so I would rather offend you because if I don't offend you, he will. The king of kings. So we must all, including myself, understand the weightiness that our vows carry. We must continually reevaluate and count the cost of what our commitment level is as the bride of Christ and putting on this dress. We must all be prepared. Most of the church is asleep in America today. I truly believe that with all of my heart. My heart is broken over that. Because I see it, I deal with it every day, and I don't know what to do except for pray and intercede. So I thank you for hearing me tonight. We need to rise up as brides of Christ. We need to put on the wedding gown. We need to wake up from our slumber. Matthew 25, I've spoken about that scripture for years. I've studied it, I tore it apart. The brides, they were all asleep, it says, all ten of them. And they all woke up at the same time. You guys know the story, but only five of them had oil. Remember, this is a choice. And you should never enter into a vow quickly and with your eyes closed. Because you're going to wake up and you're going to be without oil. We've talked about the bride all weekend so now, what I'm going to do, we've talked about vows, 
I didn't even come close to being able to express the weightiness of a vow, but I hope you understand my heart. But now I'm going to talk to you about the groom tonight because I'm hopeful that in hearing about him, you will either continue to be committed to him, recommit to him, or truly commit to him for the first time. So, I'm going to prepare you. I want to take a good look at our husband-to-be. You just might be interested in who you will be married to for an eternity. Have you ever thought about it like that? You are called to be married to the bride of Christ, and this is something that you will be wed to him for an eternity. So many jump right into relationship, and they have no idea. Even when I'm sharing with the Lord with somebody and they're ready to accept Christ as their Savior, I usually tell them to wait. You go on our website, the Ignite website, I try to talk you out of salvation. Go to our salvation experience. Check it out. Because um, you need to know what you're getting into if you're truly the bride of Christ. As long as you understand if we're reading the same word. I know what my word says. I hope yours says the same. So let's take a good look because I really believe that a lot of people have jumped into this marriage relationship with Christ wanting to be the bride of Christ but really not counting the cost and they've left the church. Okay? So I want you to ask yourself these questions and like I said, please don't take offense. This is how my mind works. It's a little bit different. Those who know me. They understand. Have I really, I want you to ask yourself this message. I mean, ask yourself this question tonight. Have I really been married to the Jesus of the Bible? Or have I been married to a counterfeit Jesus? So as I'm speaking, just put that in your heart. Don't answer it. Have I been married to the Jesus of the Bible or to a counterfeit Jesus? Truthfully, I was married to a counterfeit Jesus for many years. He was a lookalike. We all know that the Bible talks about discernment, and we all have probably prayed for it. And this was quite a revelation. I've studied the gifts, but my husband did an in-depth study on discernment and preached a sermon about it just a few weeks back. And the sermon's title was Discernment, Good or God? I would encourage you to go listen to it. But he talked, um, which I didn't even know, so it was even revelation to me. I love that. You know, when you've been married and your husband brings a fresh word. But um, it's not being able to discern the difference between good and evil, like I've always perceived. That's not what discernment means when you study it out. It means being able to discern the lookalikes. That's what it means. And it also means, like when somebody's judging somebody, like when it talks about the Pharisees, they judge from up to down. Discernment is discerning the look-alike from down to up. You have to listen to the sermon. So I want you to ask yourself, have I really been married to the Jesus of the Bible? And I want you to think about discernment, not as discerning good versus evil, but discerning look-alikes. Okay. That was a shocking revelation to me, but the word clearly states that Satan is an angel of light and he will present himself to you as Jesus. And even Jesus in Matthew chapter 24, 5 said that many will come in his name. He warned us that there would be lookalikes. Most of the American church, I truly believe, 
believes in this lookalike Jesus. There is so much deception in the church. And, and don't get me wrong, you guys are under an anointed pastor. So I'm not pointing my finger there, but if it needs, if you need to take a look, take a look. Okay, I'm looking at me too. But but I know Pastor Mike and Cheryl. I know they're preaching, they're teaching. Greg listen, Greg and I listen to it all the time. They are our pastors. We are under them. We're under their covering, their anointing. So I'm not so much worried about you. I do believe that this church is taught of the Lord. But, you know, it is what it is in every church. So, because it is up to the individual believer, your pastor can preach his heart out, but it's up to us to make the choice. Okay? So that's why I've got to say it. Don't ever assume, I don't ever want to assume that I'm preaching or teaching to everyone that is saved. We can't. That is deadly and dangerous. So I will not even do that in this room. Truthfully, I do believe that I was married to a counterfeit for many years because I had um, a, a certain perception of who this God was, even some of my teachings, um, because I was going off of what others were telling me and it wasn't my own personal relationship and I wasn't doing my own digging in the Word. So that's very deadly and dangerous if you don't have an in-depth um, thing. And we are going to get to who the room is. So I'm getting there. Okay, so... Um, we just have, you know, I want you to, to think about that word discernment and I want you to ask yourself, but now I'm going to talk to you about the groom. So we're going to talk about the real bridegroom. Okay, so there is a counterfeit. Okay, amen? Amen. Yeah, amen. amen. Okay, so back to the man who will be our husband. Okay, and I do see a church. Let me encourage you. I, I don't want to be a downer because this weekend has been amazing. I do see a church waking up. I do see a church waking up. Okay, but I just wish there was more. So this is who your husband to be this is who your husband to be claims that he is. There's some outrageous things. Okay, he has made some pretty incredible claims about himself. Okay, this is the thing. He claims to have lived a sinless life. This is your husband to be. The Bible says that no one was out of sin. So your groom is either, and you guys have heard this before, a legend, he's a lunatic, he's a liar, or he is truly the Lord, and God is truly his father. Okay? And this is the thing. Are you willing to defend his character? Okay? He claims to be the only way to God his father. This is in direct conflict of what every other religion claims. And even in the American church, there is so much mixing. There is mixing of religions. He claims to be the only way to God his Father. What if you come across a person who believes that your husband is not the only way to God? Will you, as his bride, be able to defend his character? In John 1, 1 through 5, and in John 17, 5, he claims that he shares the glory of God. The world thinks that that is, really? Really? Who is this man? The word also says in those two scriptures that he is in heaven and sitting at God's right hand. And no one, no one can come to him unless they learn from his father. Now, that's where I think it's interesting when we talked about the father aspect of this thing, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get there. I want to get through, through this. But um, 
John 6.44. I am going to read that. I, I'm going to look that up in the words. So if you'll go there with me to John 6.44. Now remember, he claims that you as his bride cannot come to him unless it's through his father. Now wait a minute. What did I just say? Okay. We're going to go to John 6.44. And I don't know if you have... I know you all have read this, but I don't know if you've looked at it in this perspective. In, in the prophets, did I say 44? I'm sorry, 6, uh, 44. Let me back up one. Okay. Sorry. Okay. No one, this is Jesus speaking, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. written in the prophets, they will be taught by God. Everyone who listens to the Father and learns from Him comes to me. No one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. Only He has seen the Father. And it goes on. So this is the thing. You cannot know who Jesus, His Son is unless you go to the Father. You have to learn from the Father. He will teach you who His Son is. So that's a whole other sermon in itself. So no other world religious leaders such as Buddha, Confucius, Muhammad has ever made this claim. And the claim is that he's the only way. Okay? And that is, he claims that the only way to him is through his father. So I want you to think about that. This is your husband-to-be. Okay? If you were approached and somebody said, no, no, he doesn't share the glory with him, and you don't have to go to the Father to get to the Son. Jesus is right there. Just marry him. Would you be able to defend your husband's character? His father is setting up this arrangement, and that's what I want you to understand tonight. This arrange, this marriage arrangement, arrangement, just as it was done by the Father back in the old days, it is done by his Father. There is so much scripture to prove that. I was just blown away in this study. So it's really tied to who is choosing you as the bride. God, his father, is choosing you to become his, his son's bride. I mean, think about that for a minute. Now back to your husband. He's also made some other pretty incredible claims. He claimed to be able to forgive sins. This infuriated every one around him. He, came, he claimed to be a heavenly king. He claimed to be able to give everlasting life. He claimed that he would die and come back to life. That was over 2,000 years ago. We're still waiting. And so what happens when somebody comes up to you and said, where is he? Are you going to be able to defend his character? When somebody says, I can't be forgiven, can you defend his character? Can you take them to the Word and show them? Because that's how they... You have to be able to show them in the Word. He claimed that he would return again to judge the world. Your husband-to-be is the most hated man that has ever walked the face of this earth. To this day, he is still the most hated man. He is despised. He's rejected by most everyone around us. 
Also, he claimed that he will determine, along with his father, eternal life and eternal death. I want you to think about that. That's your husband-to-be. This is a new perspective. And are you going to be able to defend his character as the bride of Christ? These are some pretty incredible claims. Personally, after many years of studying the Word of God and much prayer in the secret place, I have determined to set my face as flint and stand by my man. And I'm hoping that you will choose that this weekend. How do you feel about making a vow of marriage to the man who is going to condemn somebody to everlasting torment of hell, knowing that this loved one will be separated from you and for him for an eternity? He died on the cross, but there will be people that reject that death. And so that's going to determine, your husband determines that for people. It's their choice, yes. But he's going to, if they don't choose him, your husband will allow them to be separated from him and God for eternity. That's your man. Are you going to be able to support him? Can you defend his character? What if someone you love dearly who has freely chosen not to believe in him condemns um, and ridicules you? Are you going to stand by your man? Um, how do you feel about making a vow to a man who has left you in a country to fend for yourself? A country where you are a foreigner and a stranger. We're going to go to Ephesians verse 6 and 12. This is not his kingdom. He is not ruling this world. The principalities and powers rule this world. He has left us for over 2,000 years as a bride who is defending ourselves and trying to win people back um, to his kingdom because he is coming again. So Ephesians 6.12, we're just going to read that really quick. Ephesians 6.12. Yeah, Ephesians 6.12. You guys all know this scripture very well. Pastor Mike taught on it, I believe, within the last year me too. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of the dark world, and against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the whole armor of God. That's part of the dress, but we're not going to go there yet. Oh, oh boy, I spilled that water. Okay, thank you, Lord. Okay. All right, so think about this. Your husband has left you in a land that you are, the Bible says that we're just sojourners here. This is not our land. He's gone away as he should to prepare a place for us. I can't even imagine how amazing that's going to be. So not only are we a foreigner and a stranger, but he's left us in this land, in this country, that his enemy owns and his enemy wants you destroyed. This enemy will hunt you down and is looking for every opportunity to take your children, your church, your city, and your nation, so you won't be a problem for him. Can I get an amen? Amen. Is that not what's happening to our nation? We are at a critical tipping point here. And this shouldn't be if the church was, as the statistics say, 80% of Americans are Christians. Really? The truth be told, 
He left us here while he is away preparing a place. Ladies, I want to go back to the enemy for just a moment, leaving us here. His enemy's sole purpose is to stain your dress, to stain that white, gorgeous dress, to sell you a counterfeit covering. That's what he does. He does it so well. I wrote a whole um, Bible study on the counterfeit covering that he offers. It is a counterfeit covering. It's so close to the look-alike. I mean, it's so close. It's a look-alike. It looks like Jesus. It might even sometimes smell like Jesus. It might even feel like Jesus. But unless you're in the Word and you're discerning and you're able to discern that look-alike, you're wearing a counterfeit wedding dress, a counterfeit covering. Um, this battle, Matthew 24, 36, um, that we're in, I'm going to take you to Matthew 24. We don't know when it's going to end. We don't know the day, the hour. Do you know even our husband does not know the hour? In Matthew 24, 36, it says, No one knows the day or the hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, our husband-to-be, but only his Father. So this husband who's left you here, doesn't even know when you're gonna when he's gonna return for you. He's waiting for his father to tell him, go get your bride. That's pretty incredible. But the thing is, is if you read, your groom has warned you by leaving you his war manual. That's his word. Everything we need is in that word. And I'm so thankful and grateful for that. He has also told you, if the world hates you, know that it hated me. Because it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you. But because you are not of this world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world will hate you. And I'm going to tell you right now, if you're not living a life that the world hates, if you're blending and you're sin mixing, Greg just did another sermon on the Christian and sin mixing. If you're in there, you're not, and you're not hated of the world, you need to do a check or recheck of your vows. That's John 15, 18 through 27. In Luke 12, 53, he informs us that they will be divided, father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother-in-law against daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. I'm going to share really briefly, one of my children has um, just told me recently that the thing that, that he hates about me most is that my passion and my love for Christ, that I am sold out. This broke my heart. I, 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 I can't even tell you. It, it was horrible. It was a horrible conversation. Now, with that said, I felt, and I'm believing for my son, but I felt like he was trying to get me to deny my faith. That he was trying to get me to say, you know what, I'm your son, you need to put me first. I mean, my goodness, he's grown. But the thing is, is that you know, I had to let my heart be broke because I wasn't going to budge. I will not. My Jesus is number one over my husband, over my children, and even over my grandchildren. And that's, that's hard because I love those grandbabies. Children? No, I love them. But, but no, I'm serious. This was, this was I, I, I was hoping, thank you, Lord, because I couldn't even, I didn't even want to share this because I thought I would start crying. But it cut me to the core because I realized this scripture was coming and I don't preach at my son, I don't, at my children, I just live it. Just an example, displayed before them. And I'm living this scripture right now. 
Are you living this scripture right now? I'm, I'm living that scripture. I'm like, oh my gosh, this scripture. Lord, you warned me this was going to happen. It hurts so bad. It hurts so bad. Okay. The sad thing is that I see so many wounded, hurting believers that don't know how to fight. And yet we have all the tools that we need. He's given us everything. He's left us with an arsenal here on this earth. It will just go but find it. But most choose not to use it. And we can see that by the fruit of the church. Most don't even know about it because they don't pick up the word of God. They just stay wounded and hurt. And yes, we do go through those times. Oh my goodness, I have had to go through deliverance and healing and all of those things for years. And again, I'd like to say I'm so thankful that he doesn't show us everything at once. He's a gentle, he's a good, good father. Um, But we can rise up and become the true bride of Christ. In Luke 13, 24, it says that if we are to strive, that we are to strive to enter through the narrow gate, for many, I say to you, will seek to enter and will not be able. The Greek word here, strive, another revelation from my husband that I just learned recently, is agonizomia. And it means to contend as with an adversary. So think about this. You as the bride of Christ, have a narrow gate that you have to get through, okay, in this wedding dress. And getting through that gate is as if you were contending with an adversary. It implies an agonizing, intense, purposeful struggle. It is the same word used in 1 Corinthians 9.25 as an athlete battling to win a victory. It's also used in Colossians 4.2 of Epaphras laboring fervently. And in 1 Timothy 6.12 of the Christian who fights the good fight of faith. It is a struggle. It is a battle. It is an extreme effort. There is almost violence implied. And appropriately so. Because entering the kingdom of God as his bride is like going into warfare. So I'm going to propose to you. Say yes to the dress. But this dress is now going to become armor. It's going to become a dress that is, well, we'll talk about that tomorrow. Question, how many of you have ever thought that you would love to be married to a pastor? Anybody in here ever wish that? There's one. Okay. Well, like it or not, um, if you make these vows to your husband-to-be, I want to encourage you um, because whether you do it or not, um, but still, he, he's the most hated pastor, our, bride, our, our groom, that has ever walked the face of this earth. But he's the most amazing, the most gifted, the most talented. He has the most revelation. Um, I loved how many of you read our bookmark. Yes. This is him. I want to encourage you. This is, this is who's coming back for us. So for those of you who have ever wanted to be married to pastor or preacher, you will be. And for those who you don't want to, too bad, you will be. <laughs> I would never wish that on anybody. That's uh, the hardest thing we've ever done. Let me tell you a little more about your husband-to-be before you say yes to the dress. He, Yes, he did make many enemies when he walked on this earth. And nothing has changed. She's still making them. He has been accused of being demon-possessed. He continually causes division and war, even in today. 
He provokes great anger even today. He causes great disturbances all over the world even today. Just in John chapters 5 through 12, the writings about our husband-to-be are jam-packed with explosive confrontations, hardcore power encounters, and cases of incredible controversy and conflict. I would suggest that you read them. This is your man-to-be. Our husband-been-to-be seemed to have this impact wherever he walked physically on this earth. Are you going to be able to defend his character? He knew how to provoke a reaction that would bring out the worst in people. people. And ladies, he still does, even today. Can you defend his character? His words at times were so hard and non-negotiable that even his own family and followers finally had enough. It's no different today. The scale of negative reaction to our bridegroom continues to be raised even today and most often easily bubbles over into hatred. And if you're not experiencing that, if you're not that passionate, not that we all have to be, but I'm saying, you get what I'm saying, our love, we have to be committed. We have to be committed to our man and we have to be able to defend his character. And the only way that we can do that is through knowledge of this word and knowledge of him and no matter what, saying yes to the dress. Okay? Um, in John 15, 18 through 25, Jesus told his disciples that just as the world hated him, so it will hate you, his bride-to-be. This hatred became so intense that it led to a deep desire to kill him. And today, it's no different for you as the bride of Christ. It's happening all over the world. Just because it's not happening in our little realm right here, there are Christians all over the world losing their lives because they've said yes to the dress. There's a woman right now, um, I want to say it's, no, I think it's Iran, that she is getting ready to be killed for her faith in Christ. Um, I just read about her again. Um through the ACLJ, and I mean, they are they are trying everything they can. They've even set up legal offices over there to try to save this woman's life. Just watch the six o'clock news, and I'll tell you where this this whole thing with Christ is, and our man. And if you say yes to the dress, you will have a target on your back immediately. So let's get this straight. He was the most, also the most loving man to ever walk the earth. He was also the most gracious, the most compassionate, the kindest, and the humblest man you could ever know. He gave his life for you and me. He gave his blood as a covering. Yes, he was also the most reviled, the most hated, the most attacked, and the most rejected. You have to know this, and you have to be able to defend the character. What does a bride do? I defend my husband. I hope you defend yours. Now, I'm not saying defend sin, but he's sinless. Our husband-to-be is sinless. I want you to think about this when you make your vows, when you think about making and being committed to Christ, because really, if you're committed to him in this way, you will be attacked, you will be scorned, you will be hated. I'm sorry, we cannot be friends with the world and the bride of Christ. It just does not work. He will spew us out of his mouth. So this is my dilemma as a pastor's wife. I see so many of the Christian church today, even in our own church, that have decided to wed themselves to a different bridegroom, the lookalike. 
the one I had presented to you earlier, and not to this one, because you know what? I have so many, I have somebody that just has told me this week, what am I, what is this? I can't do this. I cannot have this battle going on. And I mean, they just said they, they, what, they walked away. And I'm like, you know, but that's because they don't have the foundation. They don't know how, even though I'm, I'm trying to get them there. But hey, we have to take our responsibility. And I'm all about raising them up. This church in America desires a more appealing bridegroom, a more palatable bridegroom, one that won't offend your, offend your friends when you bring them to church. I've even been guilty of this. My husband is an equal opportunity. He is not easy to listen to. I have cringed at his sermons, but then I'm like, no, no, he's right. So I defend his character because it's the word. And I'm sure that all of you, Pastor Mike, you've cringed at his sermons. Um, but he's amazing. He's I love Pastor Mike. So that's what the church desires, a more appealing bridegroom, a palatable bridegroom, one that won't offend their friends. This is the difference, ladies. There's a whole church in America that loves being a fiancé of the bridegroom. Okay? Because that doesn't require them to give up their secret sins. Being a fiancé doesn't require them to give up their addictions. It doesn't require them to deal with the inner junk bad attitudes, the sin in their lives, the affairs that they have with the world, fiancés can break off an engagement and nobody will give it a second thought. But if they were to go through with the marriage and then get divorced, they're looked at differently. So they want to be known as the fiancé of a king with a kingdom who will love them and where they're at, not requiring them to be changed into his image. And yet they expect him to bless them with riches beyond all they could hope or imagine. I think you know where I'm going with this. Please notice that I use the word fiancé. A fiancé is not someone who has yet to make the vow. A fiancé is someone who is still checking out the goods. They can break off the engagement, as I said earlier, at any time without stigma or being the, the stigma of being divorced. No one will blame them if they break off the relationship. So ladies, the bottom line, this husband is looking for a warrior bride. He's coming back for a bride without spot or blemish. He's coming back for a bride who was able to contend as with an adversary. So I'm going to ask you, is that you? Have you made that commitment? Maybe you're going to take this vow to a deeper, deeper level. Um, so tonight as you see this stress, um, there's much more to this stress. And I'm going to talk to you about that. I wrote a book called The Taming, or a chapter in that book called The Taming Chamber. And I'm going to briefly talk to you about that tomorrow. I'm getting ready to end this um, here. So I just wanted to give you a different perspective as the bride of Christ. Yes, it's wonderful. It's all fun. But fiancés are very distracted because they're all about sometimes just the day and the clothing and this and that. And that's all good. We should be all that. But I'm saying as the bride of Christ, yes, let's say yes to the dress. But the wedding dress is really 
a warrior bride wedding dress. I don't know how to explain it, but I will better tomorrow. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to close. But this is what I wanted to say. I was so blessed with um, uh, the last, I believe it was the last worship song that the team sang because I'm closing with Revelation 19 where you guys said that we will throw our crowns. And so there again, I'm going to read that. So give me just a moment. I'm going to read 19, 6 through 16. Okay, because I want you to realize, um, and there's so much, ladies. I just breezed over this, and I want—I don't want you to be a fiancé. That's the thing. There are too many uncommitted Christians, uncommitted fiancés. There's a difference. Okay? Listen, if you don't hear anything else this weekend, know that nowhere in the Word of God does it say that he's coming back for a fiancé. What does it say? He's coming back for who? A bride. A spotless bride. Okay? Not one that's dirty and all of those things. And, and, and you guys have had the teaching. I don't need to go into the righteousness and all that. We know it's there. But I'm excited to share with you the rest of this wedding dress tomorrow in the Tamian chamber because I'm going to get dressed in my wedding dress before you. And I'm just going to, before I read the scripture, I'm going to just give you a little brief update. Um, In the book, it's only 80 pages, but it was actually a a little over a two-year process of going into the Taming Chamber. And let me tell you what Taming Chamber is. The Lord gave me that name um, many years ago. The Taming Chamber, uh, Taming is the Greek word for inner. And the Taming Chamber was actually the place where the bride and groom would go. Mayor talked about it last night. And the hymen would be broken in the blood. So the Taming Chamber is where they consummate the marriage. And so if you're truly the bride of Christ, you need to have be, you need to have been or will be in the Tanian chamber at some point in your walk with Christ. And if you haven't been, I'm excited to introduce that to you. It's the inner chamber. And um, the really neat thing about this um, inner chamber, Mary had talked about this today, about Father God, And as she was talking, I thought it was quite interesting because she she talked about her Father God. And I think it's interesting that he, Father God, is the one who has dressed me for his son Jesus inside that Tanian chamber. When you read, if you get that book, I hope you do. If not, I do have it coming out as a book on itself. But it was interesting because I didn't see it at first, but the Lord showed me. But when I went back through and actually put it down in written form in a book, it was interesting that I never once spoke to Jesus, and Jesus never once spoke to me in that Tamian chamber. It was always the Father. It was the Father came to me. And I'm one who was born to a prostitute. You guys, some of you know my story. So my father was son John. Then I got given up, you know, into a home and was out of that home in an early age. Not a really good experience with fathers. And even when I was a first Christian, one of my, my birth mom said, I want you to go home and just climb up in your father's lap and let him hold you. I wanted to puke. Yeah. You know, because I could not even comprehend that. It was disgusting to me. So the Lord had, I've had a lot of work done, hard work. And so I think it's interesting that inside my Tanian chamber, inside that, that wedding chamber, do the study. It was a real place. It was a, it was a bed chamber that you go in and that marriage is consummated. And for over a period of two years and still to this day, I go there every morning. I get dressed every single day in my wedding dress. My wedding dress is going to be quite shocking to you. But it's all in the Bible. It's all confirmed by Scripture. I went from being, at one point, a woman who was sickened at the thought of a father to a woman 
who allowed God to dress me for his son as the bride. So I'm going to close with this scripture. And then I know a lot of you are tired. So I have asked the worship team to come and I would like to offer an altar call if you need prayer. We've got prayer warriors here. But the main thing is I want to challenge you. Can you, do you really want to say yes to this dress? Because it's not all fun and games. It's going to be a lot of work. You're going to have to contend with us as an adversary. And listen, the perks are phenomenal in Christ too. Please don't get me wrong. But I have to be very truthful and honest with you. This is a battle. We are in a battle for our very lives. You've got to be in this word. You've got to know him. There is so much. I spoke to you guys this years ago about the yada and the gnosko. Does anybody remember that whole teaching? Okay. In Matthew chapter 7, where they say, I prophesied in your name. We've cast out demons in your name. We've done all these things. Jesus said, I never knew you. Get behind me. That word knew is gnosko in the Greek. And it is a biblical uh, Jewish idiom for sexual intercourse. We have to have that intimate of a relationship with God the Father and his son Jesus. Because he's going to say, you know what? And I believe because there are so many scriptures that say the only way that we can get to the, fa- to the son is through the Father. It's him that draws us. I, I skipped over a lot of scriptures. But you've got to know Father God because he's the one that is setting this thing up. He's the one that sent his son. He's the one that wants to redeem us. But they're the same. I believe the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, they're all the same. So I'm not preaching some weird theology up here. We're just trying to separate the dress. Okay, so let's get to the scripture, and I'll be quiet. Um, we're going to go really quickly to Revelation 19, 6 through 16. And if you guys can see, we're going to get there. And I really want you, before you make these vows, to consider the cost. I want you to be a bride and not a fiance. Amen? Amen. Okay, 6, 19. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters, and like loud peals of thunder, shouting, Hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of the saints. Then the angel said to me, Write, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb, and added, these are the true words of God. At this I fell at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, do not do it. I am a fellow servant with you and with your brothers who hold the testimony of Jesus. Worship God for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. I just cannot wait for that marriage supper of the Lamb. And I hope and pray that all of you will be there with me. So as the worship team comes. Please, I want. I know it's late, and I know we're tired, and it's, this is the end, but this is serious business. The church is already asleep. Wake up. We need to wake up, and we need to set our faces as flint, and we need to stand by our man. 
He's an amazing. I gave you all the things of who He is, but that's just what I have to defend on a daily basis. Are you doing the same? Are you doing the same? Are you having these confrontations? Are you having these encounters with people? If you're not, why? Just ask yourself why. Because you were a bride, and a bride is excited, especially a, a new bride. Oh, a fiance can be excited too, but when the questions start coming, she'll back off, maybe even back out of the wedding. I don't want you to be a fiance, I want you to be a bride. Amen? Amen. 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 Thank you. Amen. Thank you.